Uh, last week, we were concluding our series on the structure of a covenantal relationship, and we spoke about trust. And I felt the Lord speaking, not just for last, last Sunday, but for the, the immediate future, that word in which uh, as Jesus came into the boats of Peter, uh, in the, into the boats of the fishing boat of Peter, and he taught from there, there came a moment, a turning point moment, I think, uh, a seam in that whole narrative in which Jesus asked them to do something that would make all the difference. It would separate their experience from just hearing his teaching to experiencing a direct intervention of heaven, a portal into the heavenlies, a portal into the supernatural life of God. When he said, push your boots out into the deep and let down your nets in front of everybody. It was a moment that felt, I'm sure for them, like dying because it would be any, any amount of shame in front of a lot of people who have been listening to Jesus preaching. And there were multitudes there. And so the more and more I prayed over that passage, the more and more I felt that this is something that God has for us. And I feel that the Lord in the next few months towards the end of the year will be taking us deeper, moving us out from the shallows into the deep, so to speak. Because out there, there are tremendous depths and riches of blessing that God has for us. And I believe that God is shepherding us into a new dimension of the supernatural in all of us. And so, if you could prayerfully follow us through these Sundays, right through Fall Conference, I feel that God is about to do something to take us even deeper in Him. Amen? The thing about it is this. There can be an incomplete encounter with Jesus. And Peter experienced Jesus all the way beyond experiencing his teaching in the boat to experiencing his miracle, to experiencing the, such a revelation of God in him when he suddenly felt the fear of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. And then Jesus said to him, addressing that fear, do not fear. From now on, you will be fishing men. And the power and the presence of God was so freeing, so powerful that they left their nets, left everything and followed Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I don't think they said, well, Jesus is so important, now I've got to go full-time ministry. No, they were not seeking after ministry. They just saw how powerful and how great and how all-encompassing Jesus was to them. They'd never seen it before, never felt it before. They had a revelation of God. And in, that, in the sight of that revelation of God, nothing else mattered as much as God. So I feel that there's something more, something deeper that God has for us. Such a revelation of Him that will change our lives. I'd like to turn with, me, with you to a, another passage of Scripture in Luke as well. And it's in Luke chapter 24. We've looked at that passage again uh, before, especially during Easter. But today I just felt that the Lord has something for us um, different today. Luke chapter 24. We'll read it from verse 36. 
Jesus has just risen the dead, from the dead and you would never have guessed it because these disciples were completely depressed. The, dead, the resurrection had happened and then in the resurrection, all principalities and powers, all demonic powers, all sin, all curses were broken already. But the day looked the same. Everything looked just as depressing as before. In fact, the disciples were more depressed because Jesus had, their last view of Jesus was that he had been crucified. And so he comes along and turns the day around. Verse 36, okay, let's look at this. I'm reading from the ESV. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. Peace to you, sorry. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Oh, sorry. I read the wrong passage. <laughs> One chapter earlier, chapter 24, I was reading the, the passage on, uh, from verse 36. Can you scratch that and turn to verse 1? Sorry, no, not verse 1. It's uh, verse 13. Okay, you ready? Okay, sorry for misleading you. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ would suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he inter interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And this is something very interesting. He acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Verse 30, when he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Verse 33, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen again, indeed, and has appeared to Simon. 
Simon Peter. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Very familiar passage, right? Now the part that I felt was very interesting is that Jesus made as if he was going to go further. So he did not actually seem to intend to be with to go into their house. And I think what would have happened if they didn't invite him into this house? It is as if Jesus was going this way and they had to stop him. What say you? What if they didn't stop him? What if they just said, see you, that was nice talking to you. Thanks for illuminating us. Thanks for enlightening us. We get it now. See you. Bye-bye. And he had just gone off. In fact, Jesus that does that kind of thing quite a lot. Makes as if he's passing by. Do you remember Mark chapter 6 where the disciples were in the storm, kind of, well, kind of a, a rough, rough seas, and Jesus was walking by and he walks on the water. Do you remember that? And it says, he walked as if he was going to pass them by. And they cried, out to, they cried out to him, actually not realizing it was him, because they thought it was a ghost. Right? In those days, the, the fishermen had a great awareness of the, the spirit of the water, the hamayim. In the, in the, and they were always aware of the fact that there are spirits, and they, so they were expecting ghosts as well. So it was well within their own paradigm of thought. And then they saw Jesus. It says that Jesus was, was, was walking by. Isn't that amazing? What happens if they didn't call out to Jesus? Would he have just have walked by, walked on by? What do you say? Here's another one. As, they came to, as Jesus comes to Jerusalem, he was going to pass by, sorry, not Jerusalem, Jericho. He was going to pass by a crowd with a crowd. And there's this blind man by name of Bartimaeus who calls out to him as he was passing by. What say you? It's almost as if there's this thing that Jesus is going somewhere else and someone arrests him. And I have to ask the question, why is it Jesus passes by? He would actually pass by. Is it because he doesn't love us or something else? Or is it because he's not aware of what's going on? I'd like to answer that question because of the fact that there happens to be a very crucial theme in the narrative, a, 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 a dividing line. And this is the dividing line between those who would stop him and those who would let him by. I believe, and we will look at this, and you, at the end of the sermon, let's see whether we agree or not, okay? I believe that Jesus walks by because he wants to give an opportunity for those who don't want to call him to not have to call him. What say you? So he would walk by so that we can choose our relationship with him and pitch it at any level you want. You may decide when he's walking by to actually go somewhere else. 
You could. You could actually, as he's walking by, interact with him as he's passing by. He's going this way. You are going this way. And you can carry on your, your journey along this way. And he will carry on in his journey. And he will not force you to stay by. What say you? I think Jesus passes by. He's going somewhere. And he doesn't force us to arrest his, his movements so that if we don't want to, it, we won't. But it separates us out from those who have a hunger for him and who desire him and want something more. Perhaps you've received a blessing from him as you were going this way, your own merry way. And along that merry way, you saw Jesus and Jesus was bless a blessing to you. And you continued with your own agenda because you had your own stuff and you had your own structure of, 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 of life. And you just kept on going and Jesus had stuff to do and he kept on going. And he gave you permission to do whatever you want to do. And he came into your life in such a way that for that momentary space in which you were passing by, he blessed you. That's how loving he is. But he didn't force you to stay. So it's very interesting that the children, the, 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 the disciples, Cleopas and Simon, they did something very different. What they did was a function of their desire, their heart, their need for Jesus. And instead of letting him go, keep going, they said, stop. What say you? It happens all the time. Jesus passes by Bartimaeus. If Bartimaeus didn't cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, he would still have passed by. What do you think? You're very quiet. Yeah? He would pass by. The fact of Jesus passing by is a fact of his freedom that he gives to us to pitch our desire, our relationship with, with him at any level. Okay? That is the freedom that he gives to us. But let's have a look at this in, in, in Luke chapter 24. They had come to a place where they were utterly devastated, utterly disappointed because of the fact that their expectations, their understanding of the Messiah had been completely dashed, completely blown to smithereens. They thought Jesus would survive this trial, this test, where the Romans and the Pharisees and the Sadducees the Sanhedrin had condemned him to death. They thought that he would actually not only survive this trial, but that he would come back swimmingly and smash the rest of them and establish the kingdom of God uh, under, the, under the throne of, the, of the, 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 son, the son of David, Jesus. They thought that would happen, and they were disappointed. They were totally disappointed. But Jesus had a different thing that he had in mind, something far greater than just being the ruler of a, 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 a petty state in the Levant. Yeah? He had something more than for them. And so they come to a place where they were very, very disappointed. And Jesus comes by. It's funny how he came to them and addressed them at their level of need. It's amazing how Jesus is so loving. He comes there and he comes by. He looks different from what they had seen. They couldn't recognize him. He had risen from the dead. His body was different. And so they thought he was just 
he looked quite ordinary enough for, for them to actually talk to, them, talk, talk to him. Are you the only one who doesn't know what, what had going, going on? It's not as if Jesus' body was so full of light and all that. They say, whoa. No, they said, hey, what are you, why are you so ignorant? So they saw him as an ignorant pers- person, a person who doesn't know, had not read the news. And at the same time, they had this disappointment that, that there is in them. I will put it to you that actually as he began to talk to them, they got something precious and something which was a blessing to them. Let's have a look at this. They speak, spoke to them of their disappointment. And verse 25, And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so what Jesus does is that as he passes us by, he answers our questions. He addresses our need. He touches us in that same way. And he did that with that with the dis- disciple. disciple. And so what the disciples had come out with is illumination, enlightenment. It happened in such a way that they, their disappointment was relieved to such an extent that they could feel, okay, I get it. Okay, I get it. I get the scriptures now. This was supposed to happen. Correct? Yes? Yes? And then he passed by. Then he went on. He went on as if he was going to go somewhere else. May I suggest to you that most of us would stay at the level of blessing, the passing by blessing. The passing by blessing, the blessing that would enlighten us, that maybe relieve a little bit of our own disappointment and meet the need that we feel for ourselves. And then everything goes. I will put it to you that actually most Christians would be quite satisfied with just that. But perhaps these disciples, because of what they experienced, felt the burning pain, the burning disappointment that could not be alleviated just by Jesus' doctrines and Jesus' teaching. They needed something more inside them. They needed something of a comfort that would heal the total tear, that total um, uh, devastation that they experienced after being with Jesus for three, three years. What do you say? I think they needed something more. And because of that, it was not satisfying to them to have an intellectual answer for all this. I think that it is because of that that they felt led that Jesus who was giving them answers they never thought before, thought of before, and actually their heart was burning within them, didn't understand what that, what, what that was. Or, or maybe it was, you know, stomach upset from the night before. But he felt, but they felt there's something more, and they called him in. What say you? Before that, what they had was what I would call an incomplete encounter. And I would go as far as to say that many Christians experience Jesus as an incomplete encounter. An encounter that doesn't go that deep. It's a bit shallow. It doesn't get into what Jesus really wants to do for us. And I think 
we all experience incomplete encounters. The disciples, when they saw Jesus walking on the water, if they had let him just go past, they would experience an incomplete encounter. What would that encounter be? It would have been one in which Jesus would appear a certain way, it would be still frightening, and their fears would not be relieved. Jesus had to come into the boat, and they had to go beyond Jesus passing by. How many of us experience Jesus within that little structure of time in which when he's passing by, we do experience an encounter, we do experience a blessing, but it doesn't last. It doesn't go further than that. I want to put it to you that what Jesus wants for us is much, much more. He wants much, much more. And as they invited him into their house, this is what happened. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up to us the scriptures? See, they didn't say that to each other before that. Their eyes had not been opened. Their heart was burning, but their eyes were not opened. It took them having to go and complete that encounter by asking him to stay. And what he did was to feed them not only bread, but feed them with his own self. We saw it during our, our, our communion that God wants to give us the substance of himself. Not just a memory. Not just an idea. Not just teaching. He actually wants to give us himself. His power. His love. His transforming work. And there's a seam. There's a, there's a, there's a dividing line between our encounter, our passing encounters with Him, which are fleeting, and that they are subject to our own agendas, our own where we are going, what we want to do, the space that we are willing to give to Him. And another way in which He says, I want to stay with you. You know what He told um, uh, Zacchaeus, right? When He was passing by. You know, the next chapter, He says, Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was passing by. You know? And Jesus came down, came to the tree where Zacchaeus was was. Was, was looking out for him, and he says, I want to stay with you in your house. Every time we are wanting a passing Jesus, but every time he's wanting a staying Jesus, what's that? He? he wants to stay with us. He wants to stay with us not just because he wants to hang out and shoot the wind, shoot the breeze. He wants to stay because he wants to give us of himself. And you will not be satisfied until you are completely transformed by him. Until you actually eat him. You actually know not just ideas and thoughts and teachings and doctrines and, and things about him and about testimonies. Notice how the disciples on the way to Emmaus had heard the testimony of what the women had seen at the, at the grave and, and, Simon, had seen, uh, um, Simon and Simon and John had seen. 
and they had not, it had not struck them yet. It had not come into them. It was not effectual in them. They needed something more. They needed to eat Jesus. They need to have, stay in the communion and be communion with Him, com- communion with Him in a deeper way. We'll talk more about that because that sounds kind of mystical, doesn't it? But actually what was happening was that Jesus was wanting to give that more to him. Same with uh, um, Bartimaeus. Let's look at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. See, passing by again. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of, rebu- of him rebuked him, rebuked Bartimaeus, who was uh, blind, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. It's not enough for me that you just pass by our town. It's just not enough for, you, for, for me that you pass by Jericho. Now, it was something for Jesus to pass by Jericho, don't you think? Because you remember in Joshua, when Jericho was destroyed, Jericho was a very evil city that had, um, um, that had, sacrificed, had uh, archaeologists have found uh, grave sites of uh, babies that were sacrificed, inf- infant sacrificed for the building of that city. Many, many babies were killed for that. It was a very evil city. So when Jericho was destroyed, Joshua said, curse be anyone who builds, builds it on top of this rubble. By the time Jesus comes back, there's Jericho all built. It was a cursed city. And so for Jesus to come into the cursed place of their life, to actually come into a cursed city, that's a major, major thing. Don't you think? Yes? And all the citizens of, of, of Jericho and the mayor of Jericho are thinking, yay, we have been vindicated. Jesus came by. He recognized our city. Great. Now we don't have to feel the condemnation anymore. We are exonerated. We are now free from all that condemnation and that curse. And for them, it would be enough. For them, it would be a great picture moment to see Jesus with all those crowds and Jesus probably in the, at, the, at the head with all his head honchos and all that, and all his disciples, and all his right-hand men and all that. Coming cr- through the crowd, it would be a great op-ed moment, don't you think? Huh? <laughs> don't you think? It would be so amazing to see that Jesus has exonerated Jericho. And so some people, that would be good enough. But not for the blind man. For all the lifting of the curse that had happened in Jericho with Jesus coming, for all the, 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 the pomp and circumstances, or, or that humble pomp and circumstance, I guess, in Jesus' time, he was still blind. And it was not, not enough for him to receive the blessing of Jesus passing by. And he, like I believe many of us, are not satisfied to just receive it to receive his word of exoneration or a word of, 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 uh, of non-condemnation. He wanted to be healed. He wanted a miracle to take place. He wanted Jesus to do that. And as passing by happens, it goes at a certain pace. 
it says that he called out to Jesus. He called out to Jesus and they said, shut up. We are satisfied that he'll come. Don't make trouble. You're spoiling our service. Our service needs to be nice and in order. And he calls out even more. That moment in which the encounter, the incomplete encounter, switches into an encounter with the full presence and the full power of God, happens when someone, in spite of the usual run of things, the usual uh, rhythm of things, calls out with desperation. And, is not, and can see the fact that just having a good op-ed or, 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 or a good um, um, photo, photo, op, photo op, um, opportunity is not enough. He comes to a place where he says, I must be changed. I'm not satisfied until Jesus stops. We need that. Too many Christians today are satisfied with a passing Jesus, an incomplete encounter. Too many people are satisfied with Jesus who fills the head and who speaks good things, who speaks truth, profound, philosophical, theological things, things that really are beautiful. They're not satisfied. This deep hunger in them is still not satisfied. And Bartimaeus calls out. And now here's what, what happens some of the di- dynamics, okay? He calls out and he experiences opposition. And he calls out again experiences opposition and instead of being weakened by the opposition his calling out his repetitive calling out gets stronger and stronger and stronger he's not cowed by the opposition but his repetitive calling out he's refusing to stay in that in in that place refusing to have just the the shallow blessing of jesus passing by causes him to experience a strength that all of us have to experience. Because as he was experiencing that strength, Jesus says, faith was coming into him. Faith, not just a belief, but a faith that in which, as he called out more and more, as he called out in tremendous vulnerability, in tremendous risk, as he called him out right now, he allowed something more important than how things look to take over him. In fact, I would put it to you that that whole uh, phrase, and he called out all the more, is a picture of the strength of God that builds and builds into faith as we do not let go, but we actually strike the ground again, strike the, strike the cord again, again and again and again and again. That is the dynamic that experience when you stay. That is the experience that just passing by will not afford you. It will not be sufficient for you to just let it pass if you want a transformation. And so what happened is that Vatimus calls and it says he called out even more. Have you experienced that? The even more that happens when you repeat. Second, Second Kings, I believe it's chapter 13. Elisha was watching King Joash and Elisha was about to die. King Joash comes to Elisha and he says, my father, my father, the chariots of fire, you're going to die. I need you to do something for me because the Arameans are about to attack. And so Elisha says, take the bow and, and shoot out. And Elisha guided his, 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 his hand as, he, as Joash put, 
his hand on the bow and the arrows, and he shot out. And he said, now take the arrows and hit the ground. And Joash obediently hit the ground. Whack, whack, whack. And Elisha got really mad with him. He said, you should have hit the ground more times than just three. It's Joash saying, you never told me to hit, hit it more than three times. I mean, who the, you didn't say how many. It's not in the instruction book. Elisha said, you should have hit it many times, five or six times. Because as a result of you only hitting it three times, the Arameans will be defeated three times and they will not be destroyed. They will come back and get you and bite you in the butt. And he said, you should have hit it many more times. What was Elisha getting at? He was saying, you should not have had an incomplete encounter. You needed more than that. You needed to hit it until a new dynamic hits. A new dynamic comes. And a new dynamic brings you to a place in which you keep whacking and whacking and whacking. And I have to stop you from whacking because you are, you are on a roll. And you keep on going and going. And as you do that in faith, faith begins to rise up in you. And as, you rise, as it rises up in you, you can actually believe. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the Word of God. And God begins to talk back to you. And God begins to activate faith in you. How about that? Many Christians don't stay for the second part, for what I call the extended encounter. They don't stay for the extended encounter. And so because of it, it is incomplete. Incomplete. They get something out of it. Yes, Arameans were defeated three times. They, yes, they got something. But be, due to an incomplete desire, a shallow desire for more of God, they actually got less than what they could have got. God has so much more for us. And what He has for us cannot be encapsulated by a passing encounter. He has more for us. And so with, G with Jesus and Bartimaeus, you know what it says? He called out all the more. And then it says, and Jesus stopped. He didn't pass anymore. He didn't make as if He's going to go this, this way. He stopped. And it's almost as if it is saying in Luke chapter 18, Jesus' agenda turned towards him and gave him all the time in the world. The crowd wanted him to, Jesus to go fast, but Jesus stopped, it says. And it says, I love those words when Jesus talks to us. He says, I'm stopping right in front of you and time stops for you. All the things that have happened in your past have stopped. I've stopped time for you. All the wastage that has taken place in the past years, all the wasted years, all the ways in which you have been ravaged by people who, who should have known better, all the times in which you, who should have known better, have ravaged your own time, I'm stopping for that. When the God of the universe stops for us, He stops time. He stops the consequences of our waste, of, of the wastage. And He comes, and He comes in front of us. And that time is change qualitatively from one in which it's just seconds and, 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 and we're just passing by to one in which all of his infinite attention comes. And you know what happens? He grabs us. He transforms us. He touches our soul and our soul can concentrate. Before it can't. It can't focus. It can't grab on. But when he stops, he stops us, he stops for us, and he stops all the, 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 the rivers of time that have, that have, that have They've devastated our lives from the past. You may be 
65 years old, and life is just beginning for you. I'm 66. I forgot. And life is just beginning. Tomorrow, life begins. Today, life begins. It's as if it's fresh. You may have wasted a lot of time, but when you are willing to, to give up a little bit of that passing time and get off the, 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 the merry-go-round, time stops. And I sense, even as I'm speaking, that there are some of us, you feel the stress of time, time's winged chariot. Chariot. To quote Andrew Marvell, time's winged chariot drawing near. And you are at your back, looking back, looking back, and looking back. And what God is saying here is this, stop, stop, right now. Put everything aside. I am giving you an opportunity to be face-to-face with me. That is what soaking time is all about. Soaking time is not really a time for the more quietest types, the, the kind of mystical types to just be quiet before the Lord. Soaking time is for us, after we have heard everything, to receive from God and we say, Lord, I thank you, I receive you. I don't know how this can go from my ears into my heart. But I'm available to you. I surrender myself to you. You do what is necessary because I can't help myself. And you allow the Holy Spirit to slow the wheels down because you can't yourself. You can't stop and smell the roses. That's all you can. Uh, maybe all you can do is stop and smell the roses. But your, 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 your wheels are still turning. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And you and I need time to be able to let the Holy Spirit stop it. Because the passing has a trajectory. When we are passing by Jesus, we have a, a way in which we have decided how we're going to go. How, at what pace, and when are we going to do? We've scheduled it already. But when we stop for Jesus, we say, Lord, you can do anything. My path is based upon my own ideas, my own prognostications, my own predictions of what's going to happen. But I want you to stop and be the Lord of this and turn it if you, if you need to. But I want you. I don't want to be on my own anymore. I don't want to make my decisions for myself anymore. Amen? I believe this is something that, that, that some of us are experiencing. I don't know who, but as I was preparing and as I was speaking, I just had a, a deep sense that there are some of us, our minds are going 100 miles per hour and you can't stop. Even when you sit down, your mind is filled with all kinds of distractions and things are going. What shall we do after, after the service? Quickly, let's get it, get, get it going. And time is your enemy. What God wants to do is to say, I am the Lord of time. I am the Lord of eternity. I can stop it. And I love those words when Bartimaeus entered into this way in which he, <laughs> he gave it all up and he said to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy upon me. And he didn't care two hoots what people thought. The death that is the seam, the portal into the supernatural, is that point where we die to our own sense of what we want to do, our own ways of solving ourselves, and what people think of us. It was that became the portal. And just as there was a portal for Peter and the other fishermen to experience a catch of fish, there was this portal for King Joash. There was this portal for Bartimaeus. 
There was this portal for the disciples on the rough seas. There's this portal for all of us. This portal is a, is a way in which we stop. And the amazing thing is this, when we stop and we surrender it all to Jesus and we say, Lord, I don't want to just take your blessing along the way according, according to my own pace so I'll incorporate it into all the things that are part of my life that I'm in charge of. But I'm saying, stop. You start the clock again. You start time. And will you wipe out all my shame? Will you wipe out all my rushing, my hurrying? Will you wipe out all my mistakes? Will you wipe out all the time that has been lost, that has been wasted? Can you wipe out all the things that have made me now weaker than ever before in order to believe God for other things? Can you wipe out my loss of opportunity and cause me to start all over again? And because you are the Lord of time, you are the Lord of eternity, you have control over all time. I surrender all control to you. And Jesus stopped. And he said, bring him to me. Suddenly, all those people who were really unkind to him became to be really kind. He's calling you, old chap. Come on, come on. And he touches him and he says, your faith has made you well. Now, that's an important thing because in the, the, the milieu of that time in which the Pharisees held sway to a large extent in terms of the practical theology of the day, the understanding was that if somebody was blind or he was poor or he had gone to hard times, it's because of something that he or his parents had done that was sinful. That's why in an, another place, the disciples asked Jesus when he was in front of a man who was blind, who sinned? The idea was that if your life is righteous, things will go well for you. If things are not going well for you, then your life is not righteous. Does that make sense? Okay. So when Jesus says to the, to, to, to the blind Bartimaeus, your faith has made you well, or when he says to the woman with an issue of blood, your faith has made you well, he's doing something that is so radical, he is cutting across the whole um, uh, conventional wisdom of that time. He's saying, I say you are righteous. I cancel off all unrighteousness or any hint or smell of unrighteousness that you had because of the fact that I have made you well. And when Jesus went to the cross, he carried upon himself all our righteousness, including Bartimaeus, our, all our unrighteousness, including Bartimaeus. That is the total work that only a God can do. You can't do it for each other. No man, no woman, no mother can do that for their daughter or for their son. They cannot actually take on your sins or, or exonerate you. No matter how much I say, hey, you're okay, you're good, you're a good person, you're a fantastic person, it's not enough. Only a God can say you're good. And you know what? Jesus did it. He paid the price for that. And so Jesus stopped. He not only stopped, he stopped everything, every handwriting and ordinance against us, Colossians says. He stopped every condemnation, every curse against us. He didn't just come into a cursed place, Jericho, and said, ah, because I say it is, it is, it is, it is not cursed, it is, it is not cursed because by fiat. No, he did it at the cost of himself. He took upon himself the, our own body of sin, all the curses of Jericho, all the evil, all the infant sa sacrifice of evil, and took it upon himself and was punished as if he was the one who did it all. And therefore, when he says to, the, to, to ba blind Bartimaeus, your faith has made you well, he's holding up Bartimaeus as a man of righteousness. 
And by doing so, He exonerates all of His sin. He can do that for you and me. He can catch up your time. How He does it, I don't know. But it can be as if you never lost anything that is of significance. You may have lost things that are not significant, but things that are significant for God's purposes. He has done that. Amen? When I was uh, experiencing the blessing of God uh, th- through the charismatic movement, I was, as I shared with you last week, so thrilled that God could actually do a work in my life. There came a point that it became to be very, very concerning for me that I did not feel the love of God. I did not feel that God cared for me or loved me. I felt that I was just dumped along with all the other love the world's kind of people in John 3.16. And that um, I, I didn't really matter to God. And I have found the more and more I hungered for God, the more it mattered to me that I mattered to God. Have you felt that? Does it matter to you that you matter to God? I'm sure it does. And in fact, I felt that. But I realized that for some reason, I was not experiencing deeper until these two women came to me and said, God wants to take you deeper. And what it meant was that for me to go deeper, I needed to give my life to Him. And when I realized that, then I counted the cost and I realized in order for me to experience God kind of on the inside, as not just words that are intellectually thrown out to me, but something that I could actually feel, actually personalize, and to actually experience. God was saying, I just don't want you to just be blessed. I want to fill you with myself. And I knew at that time, I could say no. I could just pass by. And I never felt forced. But there's something inside me that called out a desire for God. And of course, at that time, my parents were starting a new church. And I'd always thought I would join that church. And the Lord spoke to me, join this other church. And I joined this other church. And it didn't feel that comfortable. It felt like a desolate place. But I knew that God was calling me into that. And as I got called into that, for the first time in my life, my heart was free. My heart was set free. And God somehow didn't seem far away from me anymore. He was doing an inside work in my life. We all long for that. We long for something more than the shallows. We long for the inside work of God. Amen. I believe that that is something that God is calling us to. And we hunger for. Sometimes it's after the passing that our heart's real desire comes out. What can we do? Here are some little practicals that may be helpful to you. Stay back whenever God has blessed you and just give thanks. The lepers 
who were healed, there were 10 of them. Nine did not give thanks. One of them gave thanks. And we share that when the one came to Jesus and to give thanks, after he had been healed, Jesus said, you, your faith has made you well. Made you well. The one, unlike the nine, experienced the total wellness of God, the total transformation of God. Thanksgiving is a really important part of our blessing because a thanksgiving, what it does is that when we begin to open our heart to what God has done and we stay to thank Him and we stay so that the blessing of God becomes internalized in us through thanksgiving and through gratefulness, what happens is that our mind turns not to just ourselves but towards the Lord and how good He is and God begins to enlighten us. Romans chapter 1 says, the, our minds are darkened because we do not give thanks. And so I want to suggest to you, number one, that you spend a lot of time giving thanks for big things or small things. Because when that happens, the giving of thanks gets taken up by God and God does something supernatural with that. He begins to reveal the things that He's doing. reveals more than what actually happened. He reveals what's behind. Giving thanks puts our heart close to God and it... it, it it, it, uh, it, it shears the heart from the, from the coverings over it and it opens ourselves to Him. Psalm 92 said, Though it's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord, to declare His faithfulness in the morning and His, and his uh, covenant love at night so that the day is bookended by that. We don't necessarily do that. We just pass by and say thanks. But I want to fi- found that the Lord began to free up my mind and give me a sense of His love when I started, I made a decision in my own life to say, after a blessing or a meeting goes well, or I had a good meeting with, 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 with someone, or uh, even something really small, I would just sit down. And before I, I, I do anything in my devotions, before I pray for anything else, I just spend time, I just write down how thankful I am. And often I'd be just one page of things that I'm thankful for. I just allow myself to meditate on it. Just slow down, and let the significance of God, God's work, come upon me. What say you? That's why we read, you know, in Psalm 116, what shall I render to the Lord for all His blessings towards me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. You lift up the cup of salvation and drink it to the end. Don't just say, oh, thank you, and, and keep going on the same pace of your passing, but actually stop. How's that? It will take away darkness from our mind. Without that, okay, without thanksgiving, what will happen is this. Good things will happen to you and you'll feel happy, but immediately the the darkness, the depression will come back over you again. God could heal you and immediately after that, because you're not being dwelling in the, in the salvation of God and letting it, letting it build around you, you will immediately be afraid that some other sickness will come. Not only that, when another sickness comes, you will have no more faith than you had before that you will be healed. You would not have been changed by that miracle because that gratefulness has not internalized the work of God. You see, God doesn't want just to just heal us and to just give us what we ask for. He wants to transform us through that. Amen? He, the God who heals us, 
He is present in His works. Do you know what that means? He's not only present in His word, He's present in His works. So when He does a work, He doesn't extend Himself by, by pushing out some kind of uh, uh, extension of Himself, like an energy, and say, you take that, take, take, don't ask more. When God does something for us, He is present in His works. Doesn't, do you know what that means? That means that when He blesses you, He gives you financial blessing or He helps you to escape judgment or He escapes your boss's angry face. He's there in it. He does it personally. Doesn't it personally? He doesn't say, okay, I'm sending an angel and uh, two, okay, okay, for you two two angels and He'll guard over you and all that and uh, take that and don't ask for more. No, He Himself comes in. Do you have that revelation of God? That He is personally present in every blessing that He gives to you. When He gives you a word, He doesn't just lob a word to you, okay, take that and chew on it. No, He is present in you. So that you don't have to just grab it and then pass by. You can take it and chew on it and meditate on it and give thanks to Him and go, go crazy. That's why when we have daily prayer, I'm not for getting on the list of daily daily prayer, prayer items and then going straight into that. No, we worship Him. We praise Him. We create an atmosphere in which we and Him are in sync. Not that we can ever be in sync with God by, by ourselves, but He will sync us up with Himself. Does that make sense? It is only when we are given over to Him that we are in an appropriate relationship with God. Or else we will be always in an asking mode, which is fine. But it will be always trying to make God do something. Pray harder, pray faster, pray more technically more powerful to make God do things. And we will always be in the center of this equation. But what God wants to do is to cause us to come out of ourselves and experience a whole different spirit. To have revelation of God, to have the the glory of God, we have to be of a different spirit than we normally are. We normally are in a very selfish spirit. That's why we just pass by God. We're passing by the living God and we're just saying, bye. How can we do that? Yes? <laughs> Gratefulness. Gratefulness. Stop for a little bit before we go on. As we uh, close our eyes, I want to invite you to be thankful and to just give thanks to Him. for any mercy, no matter big or small. This is not just therapy, although therapy is good. And it is therapeutic. But it changes the order of relationship between us and our God. Give Him thanks. And let the shadows be cast off without reserve, without reservation. Amen. Don't be satisfied with preaching. Preaching is just the statement. Hopefully you're anointed by God of truth. But meditate on it, soak in it, and say, Lord, what do you have for me 
I will not be stopped satisfied until that thing that you just spoke about to me is experienced. Yeah? Stay. Not for the intellectual stimulation, if there is any, but stay to interact with God. Because God now wants to do something in your life and my life. Many people are not transformed. They've been having been around for a long time in church, in the Christian world. But it never goes further. And in thanksgiving, we say, Lord, show me how you want me to do things differently. What's the key to unlock it? Stay. I'll not be satisfied until I experience the object, the substance that you're speaking about. It's not enough for me to know that you have this for me and I pass you by and say thank you. I will stay until I eat of it. And you know when, you, when, when it has become a change in your life, when you begin to feel faith arising up. When you feel faith arising up and a conviction and a assurance that it's going to happen. Many people receive words, but they don't receive an assurance that these words are going to come by. They're still doubting because they've not waited on Him and waited for Him to stay. I have found that in many matters of faith, it is not sufficient for me to hear a word and that assures me. It will assure me for a while, but I have to stay until God puts it in me. So I open myself. It says in Isaiah 40, those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Don't be satisfied by the momentary perk that happens when you hear a word or you hear preaching and then after that it's gone. No, stay. I'm not satisfied, Lord. I want more. I want it to be in part of me. And the Lord will show you, okay, what do you do differently? What did you not see that blocked it from happening? And the Lord will begin to speak to you. And you will begin to feel faith begin to arise. Faith begin to arise in it. Stay for that rising. Stay for that in spite of thing. Faith. In spite of faith. Stay for it to rise. A Christian who understands the ways of the Holy Spirit has understood because the, he, he or she has waited for the thing to rise. Praise Him. We focus on Him. We wait upon Him. We call on Him. And we do that again and again and again and again until faith begins to arise. Finally, try to come for fall conference. If you have any difficulty making it financially, let us know about it. We would love for you to be here. We would love for you to receive more. Fall conference is one of those things in which because there is more time,
we find that there's small brain space to receive what God has. And I would urge you, come, so that we can launch out into the deep. Amen? Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you do pass by. How gracious and gentle you are, that you never force yourself upon us, but constantly invite us and beckon us to stay. We do not want incomplete encounters with you. We want extended encounters. So that after everyone has left the event, we stay with you. We desire you with all our heart, everything that's within us. Even that, Lord, we need you to increase. So come, Holy Spirit. Give us that fire that blind Bartimaeus had, that burning feeling that the disciples had when they finally recognized your presence and were sensitized to you. Come, Holy Spirit. We welcome you. In Jesus' name. Amen.